Thank you for joining us for IAB There. And now your host, Eric John. Over to you, hey, Eric. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Is, uh, this is our daily live stream show. Our goal is to keep the digital media industry informed, connected, offer perspectives on the current state of advertising, and most importantly, what's playing out amidst this COVID-19 crisis. It's Wednesday, May 6th. It may feel at times that it's always Monday and the world is standing still, but in fact, it's not. And it's increasing the pace of change for all things media, including the consumption of video. Today, we're gonna to be talking about how the marketplace and TV and video is shifting amidst the health crisis and how buyers and sellers are changing their approaches to monetization, negotiation, campaign, campaign planning and execution. Um, my name is Eric John. I head up the Video Center of Excellence. Our mission is to provide the best practices, guidance, standards, and education for brands to adapt to change and survive and thrive ultimately in the conversion of television and video. Um, today's show is called Upfront Reboot, Reimagining the Cross-Platform Marketplace. Joining me today to talk about these changes is Philip Smullen, who I've known for a long time. He's a pioneer in the space, having, having helped launch and grow the programmatic ecosystem at Turn, and now bringing data and advanced targeting, buying and measurement to the cross-platform converged TV space. Welcome, Philip. Good afternoon. It's nice to see you again. It's been a while. I know. It's uh, it's a small world, this internet, and uh, it seems like the, the circles are, are getting ever, ever closer. Um, just a little context for this conversation. Um, you know, if, if you live in the TV and video world like you and I do, we know the traditional upfronts. Um, they really started in the 60s. Over the years, they became an annual custom, a ritual dance from April to June. It was a selling window when broadcast networks and programmers unveiled their new shows for the coming season. And they sold a substantial portion of their advertising uh, in pretty glitzy upfront shows. Yeah. This year, an estimated 20 billion in ad spend was waiting in the wings to be negotiated based on some pretty well-worn conventions. Things like audiences being measured by TV Nielsen panel data and guarantees based on ratings points. Um, you know, broad demos like adults age 18 to 49 and 25 to 54 as the standard pricing based on limited inventory and premium content constrained by day parts. Um, and this all happened in the context of verbal negotiations and ad content that was based on a very few number formats, 15s, 30s, and 60 second commercials. So fast forward to today, data-driven TV that were living the, living the changes around have given rise to much more powerful metrics than simple age and gender. Instead of just GRPs, we've entered an era of business-based outcomes. So Philip, I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about, you know, some have an ex expectation that the upfronts will really, by, by, by force of, of, of all the behavior that, that uh, consumers are engaging with video continuously, the shift to different platforms, that we're gonna see a process for negotiation that's gonna be much more drawn out and perhaps even end up in a kind of calendar year uh, basis. What are you seeing from your standpoint and from your clients on, on what is now, what used to be the starting gun of negotiations? Yep. What does the upfronts look like from your perspective? 
Well, I mean, it's certainly um, a pretty fascinating period of time uh, that we're going through right now. Um, you know, the upfront schedule has really been upended. Uh, with that said, we don't anticipate, we don't really see the upfronts uh, and guaranteed buys going away in and of itself. Uh, you know, they have traditionally been, as you said, on a very kind of like structured annual calendar. And now we see that that's, you know, going to be become, you know, much more dynamic and that, the nature of the, um, the negotiations themselves are probably going to change pretty significantly. I mean, in the context of, of convergence, bringing together TV and digital, you know, there's already been a lot that's been in process. Um, you know, COVID is kind of accelerating that, but there's already been push for flexibility on how you define audiences, um, flexibility to be able to reach those audiences across screens, um, being able to measure, uh, you know, what it is that you're buying. Uh, what's the use of currency is always, you know, a hot topic as you start to change those audience definitions. So even though right now we're seeing media com consumption overall increase pretty dramatically, CTV, of course, but also traditional linear TV uh, is up dramatically. And so I think what we're seeing for the most part is that the evolution that the industry was already kind of going through is simply um, accelerating. Uh, but convergence is still going to be about managing across all four screens, TV, connected TV, online video through mobile and desktop devices. Um, linear TV still drives the most efficient mass audience reach by far. CTV provides increased targetability. And ultimately the upfronts need to evolve in order to embrace that. So I don't think we're seeing a new direction per se, but we are seeing an acceleration and probably a much higher degree of um, flexibility on the part of the sellers for how they're going to be negotiating what goes into the overall packaging that gets sold. Right. So this is something, you know, I, I run our video center uh, of excellence and we have a board made up of brands, buyers, and of course, publishers and sellers. The conversation that I've been having with them is, you know, picking up on that notion of flexibility. Publishers are needing more flexibility to manage their yield. I mean, with so much uh, viewer engagement, it's generating impressions like never before. Buyers, as we've seen in the IAB Pulse research that we've been doing, many uh, put their, their budgets on hold. Many are pivoting uh, with new messaging that we're gonna talk about in a minute. But just to, just to touch on, on that behavioral change, I, I, I think it's really fascinating um, to understand. We've been hearing also from the brands and buyers, they're looking for the ability to understand where their consumers are now. The, the stay at home, you know, the uh, sheltering at home phenomenon has really impacted. Yes, there's more traditional TV time spent, but um, I read an, an incredible stat that showed coming from Nielsen the week of March 16th, consumers watched 156 billion minutes of streaming content. That's up from 115 billion the week prior. It is phenomenal. So clearly streaming and CTV consumption is, is taking a much more, uh, you know, or, or is taking much more of, of, of share in terms of maybe it's just having more time to spend, but clearly the gravitational pull towards, towards streaming is happening. What does that mean to your portfolio and to your solutions and how you're counseling brands on the right way to reach these consumers who are living more in apps or are, are living hybrid lives in, in, uh, in traditional pay TV and streaming? Well, uh, it's a really interesting question because um, obviously there's a massive COVID impact going on for everyone right now, certainly our industry, every industry, um, but it's not just the media consumption patterns 
like increased CTV, increased linear TV, um, you know, reading a lot more news, uh, watching a lot more news on COVID. Um, it's not just the media consumption patterns that are shifting. So, you know, what we're seeing, I mean, if you really stop and think about it, we're seeing actual changes in audience demographics. And, and you don't really think about that very often. You're like, well, age and gender, that's not changing. Um, but employment is, and income and disposable income are fundamentally changing. And along with the stay at home and kids not being in school, you have dramatic shifts in um, consumer priorities and interests. You know, people are cooking more, they're baking more, there's been a run on flour. Um, there's homeschooling, there's a lot more gardening. You know, if you're in a quick serve restaurant vertical, you know, you have to really be focused on food safety and delivery services. And we've all seen, you know, commercials about that. Um, interestingly, in automotive as a vertical, uh, we've been seeing that there's a surprisingly high amount of interest people uh, have in looking for um, good deals on buying cars. And so what that suggests is that even though people know things are kind of on pause for a while in their lives, that they're going to resume with certain economic activities. And they're thinking this may be a good buying opportunity to, to be able to get good deals. So we've been heavily focused um, with the clients that we work with on kind of navigating what is a rapidly shifting landscape. And so that started for a lot of brands, I think, as a knee jerk of just how do I avoid COVID? COVID is bad. I do not want to be associated with COVID. But very, very quickly, we were able to kind of work with them and, and help them to understand that COVID is an umbrella. And there are a lot of subtopics within that. So the ones that we we're talking about, food safety, you know, automotive opportunities, homeschooling, whatever it may be. Um, and so the, the focus has really been on helping them to understand from an analytic perspective, what are the rapid shifts that are occurring within the consumer marketplace? How does that impact perceptions of their brand, their products, perceptions of competitors? What does that do in terms of creating opportunities to adjust their messaging right now? And you know, we, in, interestingly, uh, Eric, in the last week and a half, we've seen a really, really heavy pivot uh, within the agencies and, and brand direct teams where they're now much more focused on planning for the restart. So how do I get to um, a plan that re recognizes that the economy is restarting? How's my brand positioned within that? And so, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I was just gonna say, we're, we're showing a graphic right now. I think, I think this is something that's gonna be helpful for folks watching here as we talk about you know, yes, the marketplace is shifting. Yes, consumer behavior is shifting, viewing habits. But what does that mean for a brand to restart? Um, talk about this for a second. And then, and then let's pick up on the QSR conversation, because I think there's a fascinating story here with implications for what every brand needs to do to, to pivot and actually what buyers and sellers need to think about in terms of the future of a futures market. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, so uh, in, in working with the agency teams in particular, we started seeing a lot of questions coming in for insights about how to plan for kind of the economy restarting right. and being able to stay on top of that. And so we've, we've compiled kind of insights for them and, and generally a framework for a playbook to really think about, you know, steps in the process of reassessing your audience, um, uh, addressing a, a shifts in messaging, and then realigning media plan, because all of those things are in motion. And if you if you go to the next slide, I think we've got a few of them in here. Um, there's a lot of data that feeds into that. There's what we uh, utilize with uh, Nielsen Grace Note partnership for their ACR, um, automated content recognition, panel data from smart TVs, Inscape uh, smart TV panel data, um, the RTV Bidstream, a Clickstream panel, but also advertiser first party data. It's all sources of data. And the, the goal with that is to help brands understand 
their audiences are shifting. A restart does not mean going back to your old plan and unpausing things that were paused. It's about understanding how things have shifted. And so there should be a QSR example in here yeah. that hopefully it's the next slide. So this data, in a way, what this, this is the promise of convergence in a way that, that, uh, that as television becomes more personalized in terms of content de delivery and advertising uh, as well, what are the signals that can be used to actually make good on the promise of greater relevance? Here, it's not just greater relevance on the message. It's actually, you know, th this is messaging now and the pace of change. This, this, uh, the story of what it means for specific verticals, this is what I'd love to have you uncover. Yeah, so this is a really interesting one. So quick serve restaurants, what you're looking at is a side-by-side -side comparison of a change in consumer engagement with content over the course of several weeks. So what you're seeing on the vertical axis is the topic of basically home delivery, uh, you know, food delivery services. And so we, we look at a lot, of, a lot of data sources and analyze what are the, the, what are the things that consumers are reading about? What are the concepts, the topics within that content? What are the brands that are being discussed within that content? Some of it's social listening, others is like news articles and things like that. And so what you see here is that on the vertical axis, that there is a lot of discussion uh, in, in kind of reading about food delivery and that McDonald's as a brand has been highly associated with that. In addition, the horizontal access is, are there a lot of consumers who are reading about this or a small number of consumers? And so what, what we see here, really think about this almost as like an earned media snapshot as opposed to a paid media snapshot. But the reason why it's so interesting is that what you see here is that McDonald's was able to kind of establish and hold on to the, the mind share in the market around being associated with food delivery services. And so the takeaways in here are probably a little bit less for McDonald's as a team, but possibly for Taco Bell, Burger King, some of the other brands where they need to understand this is a, a high priority topic in the industry, yet they're not getting very strong association with it. And so that probably warrants rethinking some of the messaging strategy as well as a paid media strategy to help compensate for that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting. I see uh, Wendy's at the lower left-hand corner here. It's, uh, we were just talking about this before, before, the, uh, before the session here. You know, the food supply chain, basically any product is, that, that's another thing that the pandemic has impacted is the ability for brands, especially startups that, are, that were uh, reliant on, on uh, supply chains from other countries. Here now in the States, we've got food, food supply chain issues. This all impacts the right message to consumers either to get in front of a shortage or to message more, uh, you know, in a, con in a more conquesting way that, hey, we have availability. So what, did you, what have you seen more recently? Yeah, I mean, well, the, the Wendy's one is just an amazing example. Uh, for those of you listening who remember uh, the, you know, the, the where's the beef commercial um, has now been uh, resurrected in a very unexpected way where they have a supply chain issue, um, you know, with beef. And so for Wendy's, you know, of course, they have to think about, you know, how do they respond to that very, very quickly. Um, the competitive set may choose to do that as well. But it's not just Wendy's. It's not just, uh, you know, food services. CPG, 
right? Amen. So there are a lot of supply chain issues, um, you know, hoarding activities where it has pretty profound implications for CPGs to just decide when and where should they be advertising. So there's a there's a strategy called uh, dynamic localization. It's kind of a clunky term, but what it means is using data that reports on a daily basis about product availability in retail locations by regions and kind of DMAs and zip codes to understand where your products are on the shelves and where your competitors' products are on the shelves or not. And so that creates an opportunity to use much more kind of like real time strategies to determine like, look, if, if you don't have products on the shelf, then it probably does not make sense to be buying media that's gonna drive consumers into the store. Conversely, if you're a challenger brand, it's a tremendous opportunity to promote your products if you know that kind of like the big incumbent doesn't have product on the shelf. And so when we kind of think about this from a, um, a converged media standpoint and, and TV, these are types of things that are opportunities to leverage data and in increasingly real-time ways and in very dynamic ways that the more publishers can provide flexibility and adaptability for advertisers to use those types of techniques, that becomes an increase in part of the value proposition the publisher is providing. And so it's a really interesting environment that's playing out right now. So this goes back to the, you know, the upfront reboot conversation and the question of how, you know, more audience or performance uh, focused buying community, the expectations for, uh, for publishers and what they can bring to the table. It's also, you know, as, as huge of a challenge it is, you know, this quarter, um, you know, it's clear that some companies, some publishers are, are being able to manage their, you know, manage these shifts and also are fortunate to have a, a, a good blend or a diversity of, of advertisers in the mix to work with. Um, but here's a question. What is this, what is the pace of change that you're seeing now? What is the frequency that buyers are looking for from you to be able to optimize? And, and what does that mean for publishers? Yeah, What's so it, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty interesting in that you tend to think, if you don't dive into the details, you tend to think of kind of like classic TV investment as maybe being like a little bit of a, a stodgy process. But, you know, the, the agencies who have been really leaning in over the past 6, 12, 18 months from a convergence standpoint, while very few, if any of them, have yet to merge kind of their TV investment teams and their digital trading teams, those still tend to be a very separate function. The TV investment teams have been pretty dramatically upgraded. They've been upgrading with data-driven tools that allow them to use the same first-party data or third-party digital audience data in order to define strategic audience targets, to use that as the basis of their planning, even though that gets translated to a linear buy um, that is ultimately transacted on classic demos. But what they're measuring and optimizing towards is a strategic audience. And so what's so interesting about this Eric, back to your, your core question, is that because the feedback loop is now much more closer to real time, it's weekly and daily updates on what's the exposure data in linear TV and in CTV, um, what is the, um, uh, the brand engagement activities, what's the sale data, the offline sales data, they're able to use that from an optimization basis in order to update their plans, their TV plans, on a monthly or even weekly basis. So when we think about 
kind of what gets negotiated and upfront, part of what um, you know the, the bigger and smarter buyers are looking for now, and frankly, I think they have the opportunity to negotiate, is to have much more flexibility in their options about being able to um, reallocate budget, um, you know, from linear to digital or back, you know, vice versa, bringing it back from digital to linear, depending upon where the audiences are, where the efficiencies can be created, um, and to being able to tie um, the ADUs, the audience deficiency units, um, to the strategic audiences as opposed to just the buy demos. So it's a, it's a very dynamic environment and the, the types of measurement and optimization that are being done in planning updates are happening on a much higher frequency basis than they had traditionally. So as you're talking, it's, it's making me realize, you know, it's, it's for that loop to work, the attribution uh, has to be in sync with that as well. Um, so what are some of the KPIs that you're seeing? Are the KPIs shifting, you know, uh, the business outcomes that you're being asked to deliver on? Have they shifted or is it still some of the classic, you know, website visit, you know, downloads, et cetera? What's changing? Uh, obviously it depends on vertical and it depends on advertiser and it depends on campaign, but maybe that in and of itself is kind of the answer there, which is it depends. And so as an ecosystem and as, you know, certainly for Amobi as a technology platform provider, but it's not unique, you know, solely to us, having that flexibility to look at different types of KPIs, whether they're reach KPIs um, or whether they are lower funnel KPIs or for an increasing number of brands, it tends to be looking at both and it should be looking at both so that you're seeing what your overall kind of like funnel progression looks like. But the reality is for most organizations right now on the buy side, um, they still have a lot of inefficiency that they're working through because that TV investment organization and the digital trading organization have been siloed apart. What you get is um, fairly poor coordination uh, between one, one group is still thinking GRPs and the other group is, you know, my outcome. Yeah, it, it is yeah, on a custom audience or, or purely is on an outcome basis. And so, you know, step one for a lot of these organizations is just get everyone looking at the same measurement, measure the same things. Step two becomes you know, plan in a coordinated way. It does not mean that you have to integrate those teams operationally in order to get the benefits. But every time we look at a brand's, you know, TV exposure data and their CTV exposure data, online video, what we see is, you know, typically kind of like a power curve that shows that they're getting vast overexposure on some, you know, sub-segments of their target audiences. And they're either not reaching or they're vastly underexposed on others. And so being able to bring the measurement together so that you get a view across what you're doing with the, the very um, cost-effective linear reach that you can get, as well as the targetability of CTV and online video, you really need to look at them together in order to drive the efficiencies out of them. And whether you're optimizing that towards reach or you know, post-exposure uh, you know, uh, business outcomes actually becomes a secondary question. You can do either, you can do both. So thinking about efficiency and, and you know, the expectation for buyers to, to drive more out of, out of less, obviously, what, at, at the same time, we're seeing, um, you know, the value in understanding audience and the demographic, the, the capability now with the data to understand more deeply who the demographic is or the audience in front of the screen is, how is co-viewing, for instance, uh, entering the mix? Because my, conversations with publishers, especially in the streaming landscape, are 
you know, yes, it's becoming part of the conversation, but it's it, it's not at the same level of understanding what's possible with co-viewing uh, on CTV as traditional linear. Why is that now that we've got more and more data? Well, we have more data, but the data has been highly fragmented. I mean, CTV has been a particular measurement challenge um, up until really very, very recently. And, and it still has, you know, some challenges with it. But, you know, keep in mind that for CTV, that you've got um, uh, a, a highly uh, walled garden environment, right? You've got streaming platforms, whether it's, you know, Roku, Chromecast, Fire Stick, Apple TV, um, that you are really not able to get the seamless kind of digital grade measurement that we've grown accustomed to within online video. You don't get that within the CTV environment. And so you have to use more hybrid measurement strategies that utilize um, smart TV um, panel data sets, things like Nielsen Grace Note and Inkscape. And so the lack of measurability uh, for the co-viewing, the lack of being able to get the demographics within the household has made it more of a concept than something that is concrete. And until you can measure it, it's very hard to value it. Now, um, we invested pretty heavily um, in partnership with Nielsen in a number of areas. And one of those areas was um, with their uh, GraceNote platform and Nielsen has introduced um, Nielsen Verified Demographics into uh, the GraceNote data. And so we utilize that in order to help create um, what is essentially you know, true household level four screen reporting so that we can look at what is audience reach across that CTV combined with the linear TV, combined with mobile and desktop video exposures as well. So I think what you're gonna see happen, Eric, if I were to place a bet, is that you're gonna have two things that are gonna kind of swirl together. On one hand, you've got better measurement for co-viewing, which now gives you the opportunity to price it because there's a clear value. On the other hand, you have downward pressure because of the COVID environment on overall CPMs because there's increased supply and there's reductions in demand. So where does that net out? My guess is for this year, it probably nets out about even as opposed to being a big swing towards you know, valuing uh, you know, uh, co-viewing or always giving it away on kind of a value add basis. Let me ask you, because th that scenario you just raised where um, you know, they, we have all these potential sources of data, all of it assumes, um, you know, for connected TV, you know, that's a household for linear TV, that's a household mobile device, that's an individual device and, a, and an individual person. The assumption that all these different screens play around uh, the ability to understand effectiveness in media. The business as usual for us, you know, living in this, you know, digital landscape forever is that, is that uh, you know, this, the promise of, again, addressability, the ability to, to create more relevant ad experiences, it all assumes that um, we'll have a privacy compliant landscape going forward. We're now seeing the cookie fall away being deprecated in Chrome. So yep. that, that touch point for understanding effectiveness is a, is a concern. Are you hearing from brands um, greater concern about being able to, to manage the data and manage their, their uh, engagement with consumers in more privacy compliant ways? What does that look like in the future for you? Yeah, uh, it's a good question. Uh, and it is a hot topic. Um, there certainly is a lot of concern from the marketer as well as the media owner side. Um, there should be. 
there's a lot of investment on the technology vendor side, you know, at Amobi, but other companies as well, there should be. But I think in all of this, honestly, um, the, the cookie, cookie-less future is a little bit of a red herring. And the reason why I say that is because as an industry, we love to frame things as technology problems. Like, oh, a measurement technique is going away. It's a technical issue. How do we build and then get uh, kind of the buy and the sell side to collaborate on an alternative technology mechanism, right? But it's still technology. And the root issue that we're dealing with here is a social one. And it's gonna manifest as we've seen in Europe and increasingly in the US and California CCPA, it's gonna increasingly manifest as a regulatory one. So we could all collectively build the best technology solution in the world, but with the stroke of one regulatory pen, it's useless, you can't use it. So really the solve within all of this in, in parallel with designing better technology and better pri uh, privacy notifications and opt-ins for consumers, the real solve is to evolve the measurement methodology so that we're not reliant solely upon impression level data from everyone. And so this is a bet that you know we've placed early, I think others are gonna follow on, which is a future that is based on person plus panel, where it's opt-in persons and it's opt-in panels. And, and you go back to the TV world, like you, like you said, the upfront started in the 60s, right? For decades, TV has been transacted very successfully. You could argue little bits about kind of the statistical accuracy of certain elements of it, but it was successful as an industry. And we never had user level measurement within that. It was successful because it had an opt-in panel that was providing that measurement. And so as an industry, we need to evolve from kind of our digital only mindset into more of a hybrid world that takes the best lessons learned from digital and TV, combines them together. And ultimately, the media owners will have a role to play as well, I think, in making the value exchange for consumers a little bit more transparent instead of opaque so that they're given a reason to provide an opt-in that is reasonable and that is regulatory compliant. Right, the value exchange is just kind of unspoken, but maybe it needs to be spoken a little bit more. Yep. Almost at time, I just wanna save one last question at the end and, and let me ask our producers if they've gotten any questions uh, through the chat, but um, the, lots of winds of change underway here. Let me ask you, Philip, what are you doing individually? to stay optimistic and connected, you know, while we're all, you know, living the new abnormal. Yeah, the, the, the new abnormal, the new normal, whatever it is. Um, I mean, so a couple of things. One on the work front, we're very fortunate, honestly. Um, COVID is, is a scary topic for everyone, but from a business perspective, it's actually been a very interesting set of problems for us to solve. So we have great clients, you know, we're able to go deep with them in analytics. So, so we have good problems to kind of sink your brain into on a personal level. I mean, I don't know about you and kind of how you solve for work-life balance, but for me, it's about trying to get outside in the sun uh, and away from all the video conferencing. It's about playing with my kids. It's about managing my COVID beard. Which I'm, <laughs> I'm coming up on having to decide whether to start trimming it or not and, uh, and doing a lot of gardening, lots and lots of gardening. Yeah, we're all going back to the garden. And uh, speaking of gardens, I, we just bought a, our, our home hair care kit. So uh, I think I'm going to have to uh, give that, <laughs> that new skill a try as well. Philip, thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. I really appreciate your joining and uh, helping, you know, predict what the future of marketplaces will be and what the, what the, what the present of audience driven TV and video advertising looks like. Um, thanks again. Um, so on tomorrow's IAB there, a little plug for what's coming up. 
We are uh, excited to welcome Nate Chekets, CEO and co-founder of Roan and Deepa Gandhi, founder and COO of, of Dana, Go Dana Dover, who will discuss their Brands for Better initiative, as well as a look at the current state of the direct brand economy. Ivy there is a production of the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Our show today was produced by Connor Healy, Joe Ounce, and John Ward with Trafika Mahunadin. I'm Eric John. Thanks for watching. Come back tomorrow because if it's 2 p.m. Eastern on a weekday, on a weekday, you know it's time to I be there. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>